church. Good morning. Good to see you this morning. Glad to have our guests with us today. We like to say, welcome home. If you're looking for a church home, we'd love for this to be your church home. And we welcome those who are joining us live stream as well. Let me start off telling you about the two little boys who were spending the night with their grandparents. When it came bedtime, they knelt by the bed to say their prayers. And the younger brother, he was praying at the top of his voice. Father, I want a new bike. I want a new skateboard. I want a new Nintendo. And his older brother said, quiet down. You need to pray so loud. God's not deaf. He said, I know, but Grandma is. <laughs> now, we may be used to thinking about prayer in terms of praying for things. But this morning, I want us to think about it in terms of praying for power. Praying for power. Have you ever noticed how many times in the Old Testament our examples of faith prayed to God for power in order to gain victory over the physical battles that they were fighting? And I'll just give you one example. Hezekiah, the Old Testament Hezekiah was one of the Israelite kings, and his kingdom, kingdom of Judah, was attacked by the king of Assyria, Sennacherib. And all the uh, prominent primary cities in Judah were defeated, leaving only the little city of Jerusalem standing alone against hundreds of thousands of Assyrian soldiers. All they had was a scared populace. They had a prophet named Isaiah. They had a praying king. And so Sennacherib, he sends his emissary that stands outside the gates of Jerusalem and make fun of the people there. He said, uh, hey, if, I've got 2,000 horses here. If you can find the men to ride them, I'll give them to you. He predicted that the city would fall as a result of famine. They were, they were going to besiege the city. And he said, by the time I'm done with you, you'll be eating your own dung and drinking your own urine. Pretty gross, right? But that's what he said. And then he insulted their God. And he said, no God can, can beat my Sennacherib. He said, what other nation has gods that have been able to deliver them out of the hand of the king of Assyria? So Hezekiah's representative brought all of these threats and these demands that were written out by Sennacherib, and uh, he brought them before Hezekiah. Hezekiah read them. He tore his robes in humility. He went immediately to the temple of God. He spread those papers out before God, and he prayed this prayer in Isaiah 37, 20. Now, O Lord our God, rescue us from his power. Then all the kingdoms of the earth will know that you and you alone, O Lord, are God. And immediately, Isaiah the prophet received a message and Isaiah sent this message to Hezekiah. Thus says the Lord God, verse 21, Because you have prayed about King Sennacherib, I will defend this city and protect it. Shortly thereafter, God killed 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. And Sennacherib was assassinated by his own sons in the idol temple of his god, Nisroch. Now that is one example one of our examples who prayed for power in a physical battle and won the victory. Uh, we could talk about so many others. Ezra, Elisha, Joshua, David, Jehoshaphat, Gideon. Now, they were the Old Testament, that's all examples for us today. Uh, but we're not Old Testament Jews. We're New Testament Christians. And here's a distinction. I know you know this. In the Old Testament, things were physical. They had physical promises, physical blessings. They had a physical promised land. They fought physical battles against physical enemies. Now, we Christians, under the New Covenant, things are spiritual for us. We have spiritual promises. We have spirit, a spiritual enemy. We fight spiritual battles. We have a spiritual promised land in heaven, not, not the physical promised land. But what we still need 
is power from God. We still, just like they did, they went to God for power to fight their battles. We still need to go to God in prayer to request power for our spiritual battles. Now, if you're new to us, this whole month of August, we've been talking about, just do it, a liberating approach to finding or discovering the will of God. And we had three messages on that. It's about the will of God, how to, the way of wisdom and seeking the will of God and finding the will of God. I, I can't go over those again. They're on the website if you're interested. At our Vera Christian Church website, you can watch them or listen to them. Today, I want to turn it a little bit and, and talk not so much about discovering or finding God's will, but doing God's will. The series is called Just Do It, a liberating approach to discovering the will of God, but we're going to focus on the doing it part today. Because I don't know about you, but sometimes, you know, my problem is not knowledge and knowing the will of God, it's doing the will of God. Paul wrote this in Romans chapter 7, verse 18. I want to do what's right, but I can't. I want to do what's good, but I don't. I don't want to do what's wrong, but I do. <laughs> There's another power within me that is at war with my mind. Can you relate to that? <laughs> if you can relate to that, say amen. Come on. I can. I can too. All right, so we know the will of God. A lot of times our problem is we're educated beyond the level of our obedience. A lot of us are very familiar with God's word and God's will, but we're not always doing it, and we're doing the things we shouldn't be doing. What has God done to help us to do his will and to resist temptation? Well, the answer to that is the Holy Spirit. He's given us the Holy Spirit. Paul writes in the next chapter after that, Romans chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. Okay, so the answer is, being, is in being led by the Spirit. Now you say, okay, okay, Steve. <laughs> I have the Holy Spirit. I've been baptized. I received the gift of the Holy Spirit. What do I still need to do to engage his power, to get him working on my behalf? Well, that's what we're going to talk about. One of the keys, and there's probably more than one, but one of the big ones is prayer. It's prayer. What is the nature of the prayer that I need to be praying that engages the indwelling gift of the Holy Spirit on my behalf? I'm going to say three things about that this morning. Number one, it's a regular prayer. Not regular in the sense of this is an ordinary prayer, but regular in, as far as how often we pray. Just be regular in prayer. Look at these verses from Colossians. Colossians 1.3, we always pray for you. Chapter 1, verse 9, so we've not stopped praying for you. Colossians 4.1, devote yourselves to prayer. Now, here's the thing. The Holy Spirit is invisible. We know him. Uh, not, we don't detect him by our five senses. If you went in this afternoon for emergency open-heart surgery, the surgeon opens up your chest. He wants to get to your heart. He doesn't have to move the Holy Spirit out of the way so he can get to your heart. It doesn't work that way. We don't see him. He's invisible. We know him and we know his power by faith because the Bible says we have the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that he gives us power. Now, what, what's so critical about prayer? Prayer is, by nature, an act of faith. It's an, prayer is an act of faith. Because what are you doing when you pray? Well, what are you not doing? You're not doing doing. You're not out there making things happen with your actions. Every minute we spend, we spend praying, every day that we go to the Lord in prayer, is, is a time when we are not expressing our independence, but our dependence upon God, our faith that there is a God, our faith that God has power that we don't have unless we ask him. It is an act of humility and submission to go to God when 
we pray because there, there are other things that you could be doing when you pray. That's why, frankly, a lot of people do not have a dedicated devotional time of prayer because it's just a matter of faith. They don't really believe that it makes any difference. So somebody has said, the habits that we establish are evidence of a desired identity. Our habits are evidence of a desired identity. So let's say I would like to be a fit and healthy person. And maybe I'm not all that fit. I'm not all that healthy. So I establish a habit, a daily routine of exercise. Say four days a week, I'm going to set aside some time for exercise. And it may take a while for the fruits of that to be born, but this is going to be my habit. Well, that habit of daily exercise is evidence of my desire to have the identity of a healthy and fit person. Likewise, maybe I'm not all that godly. Maybe I'm not all that holy. Well, when I establish a habit of prayer, that habit is evidence of the, the identity that I desire to be a holy and a godly person. So we put that habit into place. Jesus did, Mark chapter 1, verse 35, very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went off to a solitary place where he prayed. This was his habit. This, this was his daily habit, and he was Jesus. If Jesus felt the need to do that, we have the need to do that. I know I'm preaching to a lot of the choir here. Many of you have already established this kind of a habit in your lives. I'm not suggesting otherwise. We have some prayer warriors out there who could come up here and do a much better job than me and hold a prayer clinic that we could all benefit from. But I'm up here. So just for the sake of transparency, I'll, I'll let you know what I do. Uh, apart from, you know, it's my job to study the Bible, but devotionally in the morning, I spend about 15 or 20 minutes reading the Bible. Uh, you know, I use the one-year Bible. And by the way, I mentioned this last week, and it generated some interest. If you'd like, I, I listen to it on my phone. And if you'd like the version of the one-year Bible that I use, New Living Translation, there's no commentary, it's just straight narration. I just realized this past week, I can text, I mean, I can email the link to that to people if you'd like that and have it put on your phone. So just indicate that on your connection card. But anyhow, I spend about 15 or 20 minutes reading the Bible, and then I spend about 20 minutes in prayer. Uh, so, you know, for me, normally, it's around between 6 and 6.30 in the morning. I get up. I do my walk around the neighborhood. We got a real safe neighborhood, even though it's not quite light yet. It starts getting light about 6.30. I, I can walk around there, and while I'm walking, I'm, I'm praying. I'm praying. I use the Lord's Prayer as my outline for praying. Father, in, Most people know that. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That's a time of praise. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's, I set apart Christ as Lord in my heart and pray. The kingdom is the church, and I pray for people in the church. Give us this day our daily breads when I put my needs before the Lord. That's when I pray this Holy Spirit prayer we're going to be talking about. Uh, so forgive us our sins. We forgive those who sin against us. When I confess my sin, forgive other people if I need somebody I need to forgive. Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. That's when I put on the full armor of God, you know, spiritually speaking, in my mind and in my heart, put on the full armor of God. And then I finish up, you know, pray about all things. You know, don't be anxious about anything, but with thanksgiving, put, present your request before God, and the peace that passes understanding will guard your hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. So that's my, that's the basic outline that I go by as I'm walking around the block in the neighborhood and pray. Now I know, I just know, I know from the very fact that at six o'clock in the morning, I'm the only person out there, this doesn't necessarily work for everybody. So I'm not, I'm not suggesting you have to get out and walk the neighborhood at 6 o'clock in the morning. Uh, it, I don't think it matters. And it's not a contest. You know, for me, 20 minutes of prayer, that's more than some. It's less than others. Not a contest. I don't care whether it's 6 in the morning or 6 at night or whether you're walking or running or standing on your head. My point is, 
We have to be men and women of prayer and establish that routine. Do what works for you. But be, how often do you need the power of God and the Holy Spirit? Once a year? Then pray once a year. If you need it once a month, then pray once a month. Personally, I get tempted every day and sometimes more than once a day. I need God's power every day, so I start off every day praying and asking for that power. I would encourage you to do the same. Oh, Steve, I'm so busy. I mean, if you knew how busy I was. I mean, I've got three kids and three jobs, and I don't, no, I don't want to hear that. Listen, I wish I had time to tell you about Susanna Wesley. Well, I will. So John and Charles Wesley, they basically started the Methodist denomination. They're superheroes, spiritually speaking. Their mom was Susanna Wesley. She had 10 children, 10 children in the house while she's running the farm because her husband didn't know how to farm. So she's running the farm. She's got 10 children in the house. Those are the 10 that survived. She had nine that died. She had two hours of prayer every day. You know what she did? She'd sit on a chair and she'd put her apron over her head. And that signaled to the children, leave me alone, I'm praying. I guess children were more well-behaved back then than they are now. I know, I know moms now, they, they can't go to the bathroom for five minutes without, hey, mommy. No. But anyway, she figured out something that worked for her. You can figure out something that'll work for you. And most of you had, like I said. I don't mean to imply otherwise. But I do mean this. We're not going to have this, this power apart from prayer. God's not going to do it with, uh, against our will or without our cooperation. So let's be people of prayer. All right, number two. What are we talking about? The nature of the prayer that engages the power of the Holy Spirit. Secondly, it is an informed prayer. We must know what we are praying for. We must know how this works, what it means to be led by the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, 14, for all who are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Well, what does that mean, to be led by the Spirit? Let's pin it down and be informed. John Cassis told a story about a time when he was serving as one of the chaplains for the Chicago Bears during their glory years of the 1980s. As John tells it, Mike Ditka, that was the coach, was about to deliver a locker room pep talk one day. He looked up and saw defensive tackle William Refrigerator Perry. Ditka gestured to the fridge. When I get finished, he said, I'd like you to close with the Lord's Prayer. And then the coach began his talk. And meanwhile, Jim McMahon, the brash, outspoken quarterback, punched John Cassis. McMahon whispered, look at Perry. He doesn't know the Lord's Prayer. And sure enough, Perry sat with a look of panic on his face, his head in his hands. He was sweating profusely. Cassis said to McMahon in disbelief, everybody knows the Lord's Prayer. But after a few minutes of watching the refrigerator, leaking several gallons of sweat, McMahon, never known as a genius himself, nudged Cassis again. He said, I'll bet you 50 bucks Fridge doesn't know the Lord's Prayer. Cassis stopped to reflect on the absurdity of it all. He says, quote, here we were sitting in chapel and betting 50 bucks on the Lord's Prayer, end quote. When Coach Dicka finished his pep talk, he asked all the men to remove their caps. Then he nodded at Perry and bowed his head. It was quiet for a few moments before the fridge spoke in a shaky voice. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. Cassis felt a tap on his shoulder. It was Jim McMahon. He whispered, here's the $50. I had no idea Perry knew the Lord's Prayer. What does it mean to be led by the Holy Spirit? Let me start with what it doesn't mean. If I understand what the Bible teaches, there's my qualifier. It doesn't mean that as we go throughout our day, the Holy Spirit is guiding us, he's teaching us, he's whispering with a still small voice in our ear, he's saying this is true and this is false and this is real and this is fake. 
That's not what it means. That whole cognitive aspect of God's leading comes from the written word of God, not the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Let me read you another quote. This is from Jack Cottrell, my go-to theologian, Jack Cottrell. He's written an entire book on the Holy Spirit called Power from on High, but let me read you a, a paragraph here. He writes, the Bible teaches its own sufficiency as a guide for holy living. All Scripture is inspired of God, profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. We should pray for wisdom and understanding and applying the Bible. We should not expect new information to pop into our minds. Any dependence upon inward subjective feelings for guidance or upon personal experiences of any kind as an assurance of the Spirit's presence and will is very risky and leaves one open to satanic deceit. Bob Russell is a preacher of one of the largest churches in the United States, recently retired, tells of a man who brought him occasional messages from God. For example, God spoke to me last night and told me that I should share this scripture with you. Russell expressed to the man his doubts about such claims to verbal revelation today. The man was undaunted. He told Russell that God had spoken to him and revealed that his estranged wife would return to him within two weeks. The man reappeared six months later and declared, God spoke to me several months ago and told me I needed to go to another church. Unfortunately, his wife had not returned to him, but he was still listening to these messages from God. Since there are no inspired men living today, the only witness which we have of the Spirit to us is found in his written word. This witness is born not through a still, small voice, not through our emotions, but through the written word of God. I know what he's talking about here, and you probably do too. I've had the experience many times of studying the Bible with someone. We lay out the scriptures. We're talking about a certain thing. They say, well, I know that's what you believe, but I believe differently. I say, why do you believe that? Because that's what I feel. Well, you know what the answer to that is? There isn't one. We just don't have a common frame of reference. Now, if you come to our Discover Luncheon, I teach on four basic aspects for any person who wants to become a member of this church. And number one is the basis of our unity, which is we take the Bible and the Bible alone as our only rule of faith and practice, apart from human experience, emotions, or church ecclesiastical tradition. doesn't matter what the Pope says, the bishop says, what the pastor says, what the evangelist says. What matters is what the Bible says. If there's a tradition that contradicts the Word of God or an experience, we go back to the Bible. It's not the experience of the tradition. But anyhow, I'm just saying what it doesn't mean. So what does it mean? What does it mean to be led by the Holy Spirit? Here's the key verse, or a key verse. Romans 8, 13 and 14. If by the Spirit you are putting to death the deed to the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God these are the sons of God. Now, the key here to, uh, is to understand what Paul is saying in verse 13 is the same basic idea of what he says in verse 14. If by the Spirit you're putting to death, by the Spirit you're putting to death the deed to the body, these are sins, you will have. Secondly, all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Being led by the Holy Spirit is equivalent to putting to death the deeds of the flesh. It's not cognitive. It's not new, new knowledge. It's about moral power. The Holy Spirit inside of us is given to us so that we might have extra moral power to resist temptation, put to death our habits and the things that we're struggling with, and on the other hand, live for God. Philippians 2.13, God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power 
to do what pleases him. Let me say one more thing about this prayer. It is a power prayer. These overlap, I know, but it's a power prayer. Okay, so it's regular, it's informed, so we know what it means to be led by the Holy Spirit. It's moral power and moral influence. But it's a power prayer. And here's the prototype. Ephesians 3.16. Paul prayed this for the Ephesians. This is our prayer. This is what we're going to be praying for ourselves. Hopefully every day. Oh God, I pray that out of your glorious riches, you may strengthen me with power through your spirit in my inner being. Could it be any more clear than that? God, through his glorious riches strengthens us with power through his spirit in our inner being. There's a negative side and a positive side to this, as I've said. On the negative side, this is about the Holy Spirit helping us to put to death the deeds of the flesh that we're struggling with, the sins, our sinful habits and temptations, hurts, habits, and hang-ups. And on the positive side, it's the Holy Spirit helping us to live in such a way that glorifies God. It helps us to be obedient, producing the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. We can't do that on our own. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, goodness, self-control, be prepared. Oh, I'm sorry. Slip a little Boy Scout lingo in there on you. Sometimes I get that mixed up with the fruit of the Spirit. Be prepared. But we need the Holy Spirit to do all of that for us. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7. While Jesus was here on earth, he offered up prayers and pleadings with a loud cry and tears to the one who could rescue him from death. It's not once a year prayer. It's a strenuous and persistent prayer. It's not about elo eloquence because the Holy Spirit will help us when we pray the best we can. Romans 8, 26. The Spirit also helps us in our weakness for we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us. So here's, when, for instance, when I get to that part, when I said, uh, give us this day our daily bread, and of course I'm thanking God for my blessings and asking for what I need. I say, I pray, Lord, fill me with your Spirit. And I submit to your spirit. And get specific about whatever it is we're battling with. Father in heaven, out of your glorious riches, strengthen me, strengthen me with power through your spirit and my inner being to overcome the anger that seems to come into my mind out of nowhere. Strengthen me with power through your spirit and my inner being to overcome the covetousness or the jealousy or the lust, whatever it is that we're wrestling and struggling with. We're calling on the power of God to help us do that. We're not going to do that through willpower alone. It's our will combined with, with God's will and God's power. And Lord, I'm loving, I'm joyful, I'm peaceful, I'm patient, I'm kind, I'm just, I'm faithful, I'm self-controlled. Please make that true of me through your Holy Spirit in my life. Let me, let me wrap up here with an analogy. Your, your, your Christian life, your Christian walk as a rowboat versus a sailboat. Uh, if it's willpower alone, we're in the railboat, rowboat. By the way, we're, we're, we're rowing against the current. Everything, things are, are not for us in this culture, in this world. We're going, we are countercultural. And here we are, we're rowing and we're rowing against the current and our shoulders are burning, but we're working as hard as we can. We're just, but we know we're not making the progress that we need to make. It's all us. Now contrast that to the sailboat. So your Christian life is a sailboat. There's, there's still plenty for you to do on the sailboat, right? Tote that barge and lift that bale. And we gotta, we gotta raise the sails and adjust them. But we're doing all kinds of things on the boat. We have our part to do. I would call these the spiritual disciplines. You're reading the Bible, we're praying. We're fellowshipping in the church, having the Lord's Supper. But anyhow, we have our part to do, but we know none of what we're doing here is actually moving the sailboat. 
It's not until the wind fills the sails that the sailboat moves. We know who, it's the wind that's doing it. And the Holy Spirit's the wind. Now, you know what the word for spirit is in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew? It's ruach. That's the word translated spirit. The Spirit of God hovered over the waters in the creation event. That's the ruach. Also, translated wind. I mean, it depends on the context, whether ruach is translated wind or spirit. All, likewise, in the New Testament, the word for the spirit is pneuma. Sometimes it means spirit. Sometimes it means wind. Depends on the, the context, which way it's translated. But the Holy Spirit is the wind in our sails. So when you and I pray, and that's combined with the power of the Holy Spirit, these two combine, and it's a catalyst. Catalyst, not for a chemical reaction, but for a spiritual reaction. God's not going to do this apart from our will or without our cooperation. But when these two wills are combined, God's will and our will, there's a, there's a spiritual catalyst that produces the reaction of dunamis, the word for power, the word for dynamite. And the wind fills the sails and the boat moves, as Jesus says. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your will, your revealed will, the Word of God that makes it so clear. So many of us that have walked with you for a while, we know the right thing to do, and we know the wrong thing that we shouldn't do, but we don't always do that. So once again, as a congregation this morning, I'm just lead, lead us for me and for all of us here this morning. We humbly submit ourselves, bow ourselves before you, and we ask that you, God, out of your glorious riches would strengthen each one of us this morning with power through your spirit in our inner being. In Jesus' name we pray.